Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Rethink Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Fritz Finley, and today I'm speaking with my guest, Baruch Benzekri. Baruch is the founder and CEO of Out and Back, an online marketplace for secondhand outdoor gear started in 2019 out of Denver, Colorado. As someone who spent most of their adult life living and breathing outdoor adventures, I am so happy to be sitting next to someone whose mission it is to help folks like myself find accessible, affordable, and sustainable gear. With that said, welcome to the show, Baruch. Thanks for having me on, Fritz. As we're getting started here, for those who don't know what Out and Back is, could you give a little description as to you know what the company is and, and what your mission is overall? Sure. Happy to do it. And again, thanks for having me on the podcast today. It's great to chat with a fellow outdoor enthusiast. So Out and Back is effectively a managed marketplace. And what that means is managed marketplace is different from, say, a peer-to-peer marketplace where individuals are selling to each other. A managed marketplace is some place where somebody would sell to a third party, in this case, us, Out and Back. And then we sell it on to other individuals who would want to buy the secondhand product. Managed marketplaces usually pop up in markets where there might be some uncertainty. So for example, the real real is a managed marketplace and their whole thing is about authentication. For us, the managed marketplace for outdoor gear pops up because basically people want to make sure that they get the right quality on the buy side. And on the sell side, it's just sort of difficult to sell technical products. People need to know what the specifications are, et cetera, et cetera. So we come in in the middle between those two, and we make the buy side really easy for folks and trustworthy. They know they're going to get quality. We allow them to return items if they don't like it, which is very rare for a marketplace. And then on the sell side, we make it really, really easy for folks by basically allowing them to just tell us what they have and no pictures, no listing, nothing else. Uh, and we give them an offer right on the right on the spot there. So we are effectively a managed marketplace for outdoor gear. One of the first things I want to jump into is I know that you know you talk about being in Denver and that's a place that's super close to the outdoors. I myself am located just in Fort Collins, which is like an hour or so north. Could you talk about how you ended up in Denver and why starting this company there was such an important place. Sure. Happy to. Yeah, I love Denver. I'm um, like so many people in Denver. I'm a transplant and I, I hate to admit it, but I'm a transplant from California, which I know there's there's a countless set of memes for the, the Californians who moved to Denver. But either way, um, I initially moved here actually with my former employer, VF Corporation, which based their headquarters here. They own the North Face and a, and a whole slew of other outdoor brands. Um, yeah, Denver is a, is a critically important place for us. And it's not just because, you know, most of our, at least uh, sellers are based in, in Denver. And part of that is because we're here, but part of that is just because there's such quorum of industry excitement in this area, both participants and companies. So we have a tremendous amount of, of sellers and buyers that come from this area. You have to think like starting a company like this, with secondhand gear, you need a a solid feedstock for where supply is coming from. Uh, And the Colorado area was was a perfect place to kind of bring that that initial supply base in. So that was really, really important. For us too, talent is really important, of course, for anybody, I guess, these days, talent is really important. And the values of the Denver area being heavily swayed toward outdoor, heavily swayed toward sustainability, um, et cetera, you find that we actually have a really a really strong talent pool to pull from as well. 
which is a, a big thing because especially in the early days of a company, um, you know, we've only been in business for what, a little over almost two years, I guess, um, or about two years, I should say. Um, we we've been we've only been in business for a little bit of time these early days you need um, what we like to call missionaries folks who truly believe in the mission folks who really want to be a part of something new um, and having a company that's all about the outdoors and all about secondhand and sustainability um, just makes us a desirable employer in the region um, so we've been able to get really good talent to come join us um, as well which is great and when it comes to the mission of just keeping secondhand products in circulation longer and making sure that they can live a second third fourth fifth life um, that's something that just so many people who are outdoor enthusiasts and outdoor participants can get behind anecdotally in denver and in this area in general um, you just find people who love the gear they have, um, want to talk about it, and just like think the world of it. So we're we're a good match for those folks. Yeah, I I resonate with all of that. You know, I don't I don't drive down to Denver every weekend, but it is a place I like to go on occasion. I know you mentioned VF Corporation. You worked there for over six years and held roles that related to sustainability, product development. Uh, building purpose-led businesses and probably became very well acquainted with the outdoor industry. Did these experiences help fuel the fire for you to launch Out and Back in 2019? And were there any lessons you learned about sustainability or secondhand products that you've carried with you since then? Yeah, I mean, the short answer is for sure, big time. Um, learning the outdoor industry, though, has definitely been a combination of both my work life, including my time at VF, and my personal life. These are two things that kind of combined um, to pull together my understanding and, and, and definitely to pull to pull us forward and, and catalyze the starting of Out and Back. In terms of my personal life, from a very early age, I was always drawn to the outdoors, the mountains particularly. I, like I said, I'm from California. I spent a lot of time in Lake Tahoe and that area growing up in the mountains in the Sierras. And, and frankly, just spent most of my leisure time as a kid engaged in outdoor activities. So I'm a, a big hiker, biker, backpacker, snowboarder, trail runner. I mean, basically like anything that you sweat in the outdoors, I'm, I'm probably I'm probably into. Um, and so participating in these sports is really actually how I learned the product, if that makes sense. When, when you've got such an eclectic mix of outdoor sports, it, you just learn it anecdotally, like understanding products, understanding materials, understanding um, whole categories, how they perform, the brands that fuel this industry, et cetera. You just learn all of that in a very real and kind of personal way. And I, and I've, you know, fully inclusive of a cheesy story about my first North Face jacket, et cetera, that I remember telling on day five at my, at VF talking about, you know, oh, I'm so excited to be part of this company because you own this brand, et cetera. Um, but what I learned at VF was really more about the business side of the industry, which of course I was not terribly well acquainted with through my own personal endeavors. And so you're right. I, I had a number of roles at VF. Um, each gave me some additional perspective for sure that I'm using for out and back. Um, but I would say that that said, my final role at VF, which was running their new business models function, was the most applicable for sure. So I think you, you sort of mentioned this, but in that job, um, our we basically ran what was VF's internal incubator. They have a much more formal function around it now. But um, at the time, our, our sort of mission was to start what we called user-centric purpose-led businesses. And, and I realize that's very like corp speak. But at a high level, it's, you know, we start businesses that make people's lives better. 
and or easier and not or and make the planet a better place to live in and so you know being kind of a sustainability person from the get-go and a little bit of an entrepreneur before this too this is actually my second company that i've started this was like a really good role for me and you could imagine as we were working through these different potential businesses to start e-commerce and and for for those of you who aren't familiar with the term e-commerce basically the sale of secondhand goods was a big a big um focus for us and in fact we started the north face renewed out of that program which is the north faces secondhand slash used business that they have uh, as well as a number of others both in the united states and in europe and and i really while building those businesses i learned a lot um, about how they operate and some of the pitfalls of how brand-led or um, call it uh, dual PL businesses um, can can sort of get in the way of growing a e-commerce business so basically, it became evident to me that the demand for secondhand stuff was everywhere, which I think most people kind of get. And and outdoor gear, it's off the charts because the product category itself is just really conducive to secondhand selling. It's highly durable. It's um, you know engineered for extreme conditions, et cetera. So the real problem is, frankly, supply. Getting supply is really, really hard. So to this day, most of the e-commerce businesses that are out there, so say like even the North Face Renewed or Patagonia Warnware, et cetera, um, a big part of those businesses, it's actually returns and, and damaged and distressed goods. It's not actually being pulled from what we call closet mind items. So like you, Fritz, clearing out your closet or your garage. And a big part of the issue is that many of these organizations that are building these businesses are doing so in the shadow of a much larger business, which is basically their new business, their their mainline P&L, we call it. Um, and so what ends up happening is um, they, they structure their incentives and they structure the whole way they kind of operate against this, this larger backdrop. Um, and what it what it caused is for the seller, particularly the sell side incentives, um, to be suboptimal for people. Basically, like the anecdote is this: if you sell an item, quote, sell an item to Patagonia Warnware, what they'll give you is a gift card um, for another Patagonia jacket. Well, one of the things that I learned over the first three or four years of running these businesses um, was that actually that gift card is not what most people want. Most people who are selling a Patagonia jacket do not want another one. That's why they're selling it. So when it came to the incentive, they're only pulling forward a certain segment of the market that actually wants to upgrade. And so what ended up happening was this was and this was ubiquitous. This isn't something that's just for Patagonia. It's it's the North Face, it's Arcteryx, it's REI, it's all of them. Um, and they do this because they have to they have to sort of meet multiple business metrics that include their new business. Uh, and and that was kind of my key insight. If this business is going to grow into something huge, it needs to and, and really transform the industry. Um, we're going to have to pay cash for these items, uh, and that's that's the way you get the best inventory. That's the way you get the fastest inventory. That's the way you get the most inventory. Um, and then you know you can add gift cards and you can add other stuff um, to the top of it so that people have choice and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, it has to include a payment of cash to sellers. And so what I realized is like, this is just going to be a really tough pill for any of the brands to swallow. And so I decided I was going to, I was going to go out on my own and do it. <laughs> um, and so we've basically structured out and back's entire P&L, not on having, you know, a new business and a used business. Our, our business is secondhand. 
And so everything that we do is predicated on secondhand. We've spent the last two years working on figuring out how to make the sell side or the supply side of the equation work for folks. And now we're really blowing out the demand or the buy side of the equation too. So this has been the, the kind of the genesis of it. Um, and it really started with that last role with VF. I think you just led straight into my next question, which is talking about the traditional model that a lot of, I'll say, outdoor marketplaces have used in the past. Could you talk a little bit about how Outback sets themselves apart, not only through selling secondhand gear, but the as you talked about, the way that you're doing it? So over the last two years, really, like I said previously, like we we have been 100 percent or just about 100 percent focused on making sellers lives easier and finding how to get the best inventory and make sellers as happy as we possibly can as we move through the process. We've been laser focused on that. And we believe the key to making secondary markets really work for outdoor enthusiasts is to free up that latent supply. And and then frankly, that's what we're doing. That's what we're going to do. That's what, that's what we've been doing. We're going to keep doing that. And really what breaks us apart from anyone else in this space is the combination of the right incentives, which includes cash and credit from some of our partner retailers. We, we currently have a partnership that we will be expanding with Dick Sporting Goods and Public Lands, which are two you know major retailers, one being more sporting goods, one being like properly outdoor. And so we've, we've really spent a tremendous amount of time working on those incentives. But it's not just the incentive structure itself that's important. Like, yes, you have to pay cash. But if you think about the way that most of these re-commerce businesses work for supply generation, it's also mostly online. So it's mostly, um, you know, you submit your item you or, or not. You just say, I want to, you know, like thread up. You just tell them you want a bag and they'll send you one. And you put your stuff in there. There's so much friction in that process, even if it's not apparent at the outset. For example, you got to pack up the items. You've got to, you know, go to the post office to drop them off. Like this is not a regular trip for most people. It's not like you're dropping it off at the grocery store. There's there's a whole slew of things that we found to be drop off uh, points in in how people sell to us. So we yes we we definitely come to bear with the right incentives, but we also have an omni-channel seller structure, which um, which is also quite different than most folks. You know, there's not like a thread up store that you can drop things off at. This is one of the reasons that we're partnering with retailers inside of Dick Sporting Goods and public land stores, um, or at least a, a few of them and soon to be more. We actually have what are effectively buyback points so that you can come into the store. You just stuff in hand, no packaging. You don't have to look for packing tape. You don't have to print out a shipping label, et cetera, et cetera. You just bring it in. Um, you put it on the desk, the person who's sitting back there will assess it for you and you get paid before you walk away from that desk. The whole process takes like 15 minutes and, and there you've got your money or your gift card. Um, so it, it's really just about making it crazy, crazy easy for people to sell stuff and, and just give them a, a, an amazing customer experience as they move through our process. On the buy side of the equation, You'll note that our website looks a lot more premium than, say, shopping eBay uh, or something like that. You look at our site and, yeah, you can tell the items are secondhand and we tell you they're secondhand and you can clearly see that they have different condition grades and so on and so forth. Um, But it does not feel or look anything like eBay. It's merchandised um, so that you're looking through collections of things. It's searchable. Uh, items are are tagged appropriately with their use cases, et cetera. Um, and so it really it really takes the secondary market shopping experience up several notches. So people aren't necessarily like sifting through pages and pages of poorly classified items. We make sure everything is classified as though it was selling in normal e-commerce. 
Um, and in, in the context of that, it's not just about helping people find things more easily. It's also about helping people feel confident about stuff when they find it. So we offer free returns. Frankly, people don't take advantage of it. Like we don't have a tremendous number of returns. In fact, based on the businesses and re-commerce I've worked with in the past or run in the past, um, we have quite a bit lower returns than most of those folks. But we have it there anyway. And the reason why we have it is because we stand by the condition that we sell these items in. And we know that a lot of first-time secondhand buyers are, are coming to our site. And we want to make sure that they feel comfortable that they can return whatever they've got in case they, you know, well, this isn't the condition I wanted in, blah, 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 blah. Um, so so we, we offer that and we're going to continue to do so. I think that leads straight to my next point, which is talking about outdoor gear coupled with accessibility. And I know that a lot of companies have struggled to provide accessible gear to to folks who are starting to break into the outdoor world themselves. Is that something your team is thinking about? And can you speak on the process that you use to increase that accessibility for all, all these items? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. And it's, I mean, sort of like the whole outdoor industry thinks about this. It's, it's This is not like a, a new problem, so to speak, in the context of the industry. So for sure, the outdoor industry has an accessibility issue. This is this is a fact, um, and this is something the industry they've been grappling with for a long time. The old kind of profile of an upper middle class white man climbing a white mountain doesn't really fit anymore. There's definitely a new set of participants. You saw this in a meaningful way during COVID too, when when sort of activities were. Um, were more curtailed and outdoor was actually one of the few things that you could do effectively unencumbered. So so you see accessibility issues taking place in the industry related to marketing, like who are you talking to? How are you speaking with them? You see accessibility issues particularly related to price. This stuff is super expensive if it's good and that, you know, you, you want it to be expensive to the extent that these products are engineered to perform a task. They're like tools in many cases. So, you know, it, there's not really a lot you can pull out of the cost, at least on the new side of things. So, so this is not an easy problem to solve. Now, uh, in that sense, I mean, our business is very well suited to help work through the accessibility issues, at least on price. And we do so on communications as well, but for sure on price related to the, these products, because selling secondhand by its very nature is going to be less expensive and more accessible than if you were buying it new. So just to give you a sense, like uh, our average price point is a much more accessible price point for the exact same items. We sell perfectly functional, high-quality gear for around 50% off every day. If you come to our website, you're probably going to get something between, you know, 42 uh, in the highest kind of condition grade, something between 42 and and 60% off, generally speaking. So you're already kind of taking that 50% haircut just by buying secondhand. And like I said, these items are are, you know, perfectly functioning high quality pieces of gear. And and so you come to our site and you're going to spend you're going to spend half as much than if you were going to try to buy it new. We also have in communications because we know the folks that are coming to us tend to be a little bit more on the call it junior participant side, at least on the on the the buyer, the seller is much more advanced we tend to find, but the the buyer tends to be a little bit more junior. We try to make sure that we summarize items functions very, very clearly in a way that is not overly technical and you don't have a ton of jargon 
in that. So for example, when you come to a product page on our site, we make it a point to elevate what we call the product tags in the view of the buyer, including on mobile, which is something where typically you don't you don't release that real estate to anything other than imagery and, and sort of prices. But we at, we elevate those tags. And the reason why we do that is there are no nonsense summary of what that product is good for. For example, it's a jacket, it's a shell jacket, it's waterproof, it's good for hiking. These things are right up top, they're not buried anywhere. So the person who's looking at this, they, they know exactly what they're, what they're buying um, in that very, very quick summary without having to read anything below it or any of the technical specifications. Like I say, we, we try to spare most of the technical jargon, but um, you can't always get away from it in this industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Speaking of individual garments, you know, we live in a a fast fashion world and I imagine it's hard to keep those articles of clothing or in your case, sometimes gear in circulation for long periods of time. Could you discuss what it looks like to help consumers rethink their perspective on buying secondhand and, you know, what that looks like for someone who's afraid to buy something that's been used before. Like when I go out to REI, I'm not necessarily thinking, oh, I want to buy something here that's five to 10 years old and and used. How can we help consumers, you know, reshape how they're thinking about used products in general? Well, you you touched on a few different a few different ideas there. So you're right. When most people, and it's not just you, when most people go to buy new outdoor gear, um, they're not they're not thinking in terms of the environmental impact of that product they're certainly not thinking of it in terms of you know the, the call it the product's um age or or whatever it's a little bit different in the fashion industry but it's a much more i don't know how to say it other than to say it's it's like a it's a much more emotional decision you go into the store and you know you need a backpack maybe you you don't you haven't really necessarily decided on a whole lot more but you know you need a backpack you see a color that you like first which frankly doesn't tell you anything about that product but you see a color that you like first you walk over to it maybe it fits your needs you've heard of the brand the price seems okay like you might just walk out of the store with it and and declare that you've you know been successful one of the things that brands have tried to do, and, they, and they've kind of had to do this over the last however many years, is they try to, to rebrand and sort of remarket products that, while they may have changed, they, they may not have changed in meaningful ways relative to the product's performance. This is something the fashion industry grapples with tremendously because, you know, what's the difference between last year's cotton t-shirt and this year's cotton t-shirt other than time having passed? There's there's really not much there. And so there's all sorts of marketing and branding that goes along with these things. Outdoors a little bit different to the extent that there is performance, but it hasn't changed that much actually in the last many years. So in terms of changing that mindset, one of the things that we do is we very much spend time understanding what the quality of the item is and the condition of it to make sure that it can perform at its highest levels for when a customer buys it. However, we are not necessarily exposing how old it is. And one of the reasons why is is because of what I just said. So we know that this product is going to work. We know that this product is going to work for for the person who's buying it. They're going to be very happy with it. The fact that it's five years old is irrelevant in the context of this discussion. Now, the person for for articles of clothing, it's a little bit different. We are more vigilant about age because styles change. But for a tent or for a backpack, 
it's not a huge deal so long as it works so long as it, it does its job so long as it's still lightweight like you're looking for so long as I, all the buttons and snaps are properly functioning and that it's still waterproof etc as long as those are the case then that's the relevant information related to that product and what we find is we we do not have uh, worse reviews so to speak or a higher return rate for items that are older it doesn't even play it plays zero role if you don't if you don't illuminate the fact that the item is five years old person doesn't ask the question. They're looking at the item and they're saying, this meets my needs um, and I'm happy to work with it. And it, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied with this purchase. So I think part of it is actually just getting out of that seasonal cycle. You know, one of the things that our business is not subject to is production cycles on a quarterly or half yearly basis. We take in what we have and we sell what we take in. And that could be, you know, from three years ago, it could be something that was brand new and bought three weeks ago. And we don't, we don't let that, you know, deter the, the buyer by illuminating these facts and, and whatever. If they dig deep, they'll find out that it's older, but we don't make it a point to say like, this is the new, new or, you know, whatever. We just sort of let the product um, and its features speak for itself. This is kind of a loaded question, but <laughs> you know, we, we all know that consumer expectations have changed in the last few years, and I don't think the outdoor industry is immune to that. Are there any trends you've extrapolated from Out and Back's customers, and where do you see this industry headed in the next few years? Yeah, another good question. Um, for sure, the industry is not immune to the macro forces that are impacting retail and consumers today. Like, def Definitely, they're not. It, it all sort of goes in stride. I don't think you can have a conversation about retail these days without talking about inflation. <laughs> um, we at least have to sort of mention it. There, there's a there's meaningful supply constraints that are out there right now, um, and combined with price pressures, you're likely to see a contraction in demand in the very near term related to outdoor gear, at least on the new side. Especially if you think about the delays that were pent up for supply. You might have a lot of stuff hitting stores right now or e-commerce that's out of season because it took an extra six months to get here, et cetera. So I do suspect you're going to have, you're going to see a contraction in demand while, while supply actually is potentially increasing. Moreover, the same sort of price pressures that are faced by consumers is, is pushing them to engage in selling activity too. So we've actually, you know, this, this is in part because of us just becoming more popular, et cetera, but we've 10X'd our sellbacks year over year. So, you know, 10 times more sellbacks this July than last. And and it continues to increase, actually. It's, it's you know, 10, 12, 13, 13x year over year relative to, to last year's performance. So you've got a mix between, you know, inflation causing a contraction and then people needing cash. So they're selling. So you've got these weird, these weird sort of vectors coming together. And so while price and supply constraints are likely to cause challenges for the new segment of the market, meaning like normal kind of mainline retailers, this is actually beneficial for us. So we actually have more supply and we also have more buyers because secondhand items are inherently cheaper than most of the discounts you see anyway. So all of this is sort of a, a perfect storm that's helping us for sure in terms of pulling forward more items and, and bringing in more buyers just because they can save money on the buy side too. So, I mean, you see this in the behavior on site. Now, in the context that that's very immediate in terms of the trend that we're discussing, but I, I do think it's prudent to talk about sustainability here too. 
sustainability is sort of the elephant in the room for many consumer categories today. It's not just outdoor, but any any kind of consumer goods or fashion, et cetera, sustainability is something that, that folks want to talk about. And both consumers and, and this isn't going away. It's actually, it's, you know, it's becoming much worse in terms of the intensity and enviro- environmental degradation. And, and you just see people talking about it more. Like this summer, you know, you're in Fort Collins, I'm in Denver. We had one heck of a July, didn't we? I mean, it was incredibly hot here, like like comically so in some sense. And you just sit back and, um, you know, I was in the mountains like two months ago, uh, or excuse me, a month ago. Um, and I'm in, uh, you know, I'm at 10,000 feet and it's 82 degrees. This is unheard of. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so people are just so acutely aware because these swings are becoming like very evident. Uh, and so people are, are starting to really think about it more. It's yet to be seen if buyers and sellers have reached a true tipping point. I can tell you that in our reviews, particularly by sellers, um, they do talk about how they love the fact that, yes, this was super easy. That's almost always the first comment. But the second one is actually typically like, I'm really glad I'm keeping this out of landfill. Like, I'm really glad that this is not going to um, become garbage and that somebody else is going to use this. And we we find that particularly as we feed back to those customers and we talk to them in, say, a Dick store, or a public land store, that's one of the most exciting things. It's like it's it's sustainability. It's like get to give it forward, et cetera. So there's like a whole ethos about the sustainability side of it there. Um, so so anyway, it's it's yet to be seen if on the buy side. There's going to be a tipping point in the near term. Price is definitely still the reason why people um, are leaning into secondhand anyway. Um, but sustainability as a benefit related to the purchase is also something that we we do hear um, from our customers. Yeah, and in terms of you know my my purchasing habits, I know that when I buy anything from the outdoor industry, I'm I'm always thinking about sustainability because these companies such as Patagonia align their their values at least on the on face value with sustainability so much so it makes sense that you know the regular consumer is thinking about that when they're when they're buying all of these products as we wrap up the show are there any parting words you have about what it means to run a company with accessibility and sustainability as core values so I think we're all just really excited. Like everybody in in out and back right now is just really excited for what's coming next. We really feel like we're hitting the market at a right time. At the right time, we've got great product. We've got the right sort of macro conditions for growth. We've got something that we think buyers and sellers can get behind. So we're all just really pumped to be able to be a part of this industry and be a part of secondhand and making it more accessible and ubiquitous to to the outdoor consumer. We're expanding our partnership with exporting goods and public lands just to make this seller journey uh, more accessible and, and ever easier for folks. So we'll be moving into some new regions there. We're also expanding our list of brand and retailer partnerships generally. More to come on that in the in the future. Can't talk too much about it, but trying to grow the pie of sellers so that more people have access to the great incentives that we offer folks. And we're continuing to focus and, and increase our efforts on merchandising too, to give buyers um, a, a better and continually you know improved experience when it comes to, to scoring secondhand gear at a great price. So we're, we're super excited to continue to just grow the business. In terms of me being excited to be part of this. I mean, it's a little bit of my dream to the extent that I'm a, I'm a sustainability person by trade, if you will. And I'm now running a secondhand outdoor retailer. So that these two parts of my work life um, have come together in, in a really crisp way. So um, I'm, I'm pumped. The team's pumped and, and we've got a, we've got good days ahead. I think. Thank you so much, Baruch, for, for attending the show. 
I had a great conversation with you and always feel free to, to reach out in the future. If you want to talk sustainability or just the outdoor industry in general, I'm always looking for new gear myself. Thanks for having me on Fritz. Thank you for listening to the rethink retail podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing, reviewing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.